The following podcast contains a conversation regarding an accidental death and may be disturbing. If you or a loved one has experienced a traumatic event, this content is not intended as a replacement for professional counseling. Welcome to Speaking Candidly with Candace, Voices for Mental Health. I'm your host, Candace Schoner, and in this podcast, we will be talking about surviving traumatic events, OCD, and grief. My guest today is Christine Lazaruszak, who has experienced all three. I've also got Joy Lawal here, who is a has a master's in psychology, and she is sitting in on this interview and may also ask you some questions, if that's okay. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, let's sort of start at the beginning, closely, um, with the loss of your father at age nine. What do you remember about your father, and how do you, did his loss impact your life? Well, I've been thinking about that, and it's kind of an interesting question for me because... Um, my father was 20 years older than my mother, so he was a significantly older father to me when I was nine. And we didn't, you know, we spent a lot of time together, but he was a very anxious man and was always like worried about me doing different things and crossing the street. And so I kind of started early with that, oh, I better be careful. Oh, I better not mess up I better look both ways you know I was very vigilant then even before um, the the OCD piece came into play for me but um, but he was he was a very anxious man Um, in terms of his passing it was very strange for me because I wasn't at home my mother and I um, had traveled to New York it was at Christmas time and we were staying with my sister and her husband and nobody ever said to me, you know, Chrissy was my nickname at the time. You know, nobody ever said, Chrissy, your father's passed. This is why mom's leaving or anything like that. It was just like, there's an emergency. I got to go. My mom just left and left me with my sister and her husband. Oh, my word. And so I really didn't know what was going on. Um, and I was thinking about, you know, what is the thing that sticks out for me? And it's going to sound bizarre, um, but the thing that sticks out the most to me is the fact that I was there with them. I was nine years old, Mm -hmm. and they put on the Richard Pryor movie, Stir Crazy, which now that I'm older, (laughs) I know probably wasn't appropriate for a nine. Probably not. Wow. So that's kind of what my memory is. And then I just remember at some point my sister took me back, I'm from Pittsburgh originally, took me back from New York to Pittsburgh, and then that was when I found out that my father had passed. And so, it was very much a one day he was there, the next day he was gone, and I didn't get to say goodbye. Just out of curiosity, what was the age gap between you and your sister? Well, she's actually a half-sister, but um, there's a 15 year age gap between my half brother and me and a 17 year between my sister and me. Okay. okay. So they left you with so-called adult when you were in the city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you got home and you found out this news, I imagine there was some reaction. I mean, I, anger would be fair to say, or? Honestly, it was so long ago at this point, it's really hard for me to even remember 
the thing I remember the most was I had never been to a funeral at that point. And so my father's funeral was my first funeral. Mm. And, um, and it was very, it was very strange for me to, to be there, to witness that and see that. And, um, and I definitely, probably that was the first time where I felt some serious anxiety Mm -hmm. Um, because I remember like getting very flushed and like dizzy and like wobbly and started passing out, I guess a little bit and oh, then wow. family members sort of grabbed me, didn't let me, didn't let me fall down. But that, that's, that's what my memory is of that time period. And then at the time, as you were going to school, did the kids talk to you about that or did they ask you about your dad and how did that feel? The kids were pretty awful about it, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I was in fifth grade, and um, when I got back, there was, you know, back into the swing of things, there was a lot of jokes yeah. and a lot of things about, ha-ha, your dad's dead. Wow. You know, there was one boy that would, say, that would say to me, hey, guess who came to talk to me last night? Your dad came to talk to me. How strange and inappropriate. So, so, yeah, I mean, the teachers were supportive. That I do remember. But the, ki the kids were pretty brutal. In our pre-interview, you mentioned struggling with OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder after your father's death. Do you think that the OCD was triggered by your father's death as a way for you to cope with your situation? I do feel that it contributed to that. Um, one of the things that happened after my father passed, and, and I was nine when he passed, was that I started washing my hands um, pretty compulsively to the point where they would be raw and I'd, they'd be painful. And nobody really, you know, that was back in 1982 when he passed. So nobody really talked about quote unquote OCD to me as a kid when I was put in therapy after he passed. So it was really just sort of pushed aside and more or less treated like a skin condition. Really? To some degree, you know, so my mom was like putting moisturizer all over me and baggies on my hands. And um, so I feel like we've probably come a long way at this point with how people are handling symptoms of OCD and how psychiatrists and therapists are handling it. Um, but at the time, I mean, I really, I really did spend a good bit of time washing my hands and, and it took a lot of effort to get them to heal. Um, so that was basically the beginning of the OCD symptoms for me. But you, they carried on in other ways, right? I mean, other than the hand washing, you've had some other situations that you would say were OCD? Yes, um, I did have a lot of issues with, it, it's going to sound weird and I don't think it's a typical thing, but um, I had issues with things being on the edge of things and not being secure for a fear of something falling and breaking and having it be my fault. Um, and, and that was, has been a common theme with my OCD over the years is this like hyper responsibility, not wanting to feel responsible for somebody getting hurt, something getting broken, hurting somebody's feelings. Um, so that's just kind of been like 
at a low level vibration um, in me for a long time. How old were you when you first went to therapy? I feel like my mom probably put me in therapy pretty shortly after my father passed. Um, I do remember the therapist and I remember doing a lot of doll play at that point. Um, but, and, and I had that therapist for a while and it carried into other areas of my life, um, where I didn't feel like she was being very helpful. The therapist me. was not being very yeah, helpful. Even because I was, I saw her pretty close to after he passed. And then I saw her for years after that into my teen years. How did your mother broach the subject with you going to therapy? Honestly, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't, it, it's such a blur still because it was so many years ago. Um, I, I just remember showing up there. I just remember hmm. going. I would think it's, it's harder for, for someone at that age to understand why they're going to therapy and what this is all about. Would you agree? I would, I would agree. And my mom in particular, um, was not the best at communication and was very concerned with appearances and that sort of thing. So, you know, I think it was kind of on the down low um, to some degree within my family that that was happening. Uh, but I don't know that for sure, but it just, just the way my mom was with different things in my life as I grew older, I, I would think that, you know, she wanted to be very private and keep things you know, in the family. I think um, a lot of us grew up with that. You Did you grow up with siblings? I have, I actually have um, four half siblings. I have a brother and a sister from my mother's first marriage, a brother and a sister from my father's first marriage. Um, one of my siblings has already passed. Sorry. Um, and one of my siblings is estranged and the other one I don't really hear from. Mm. And um, the closest with my brother, who is my mother's son. Now, I asked that just wondering if any of them also went to therapy and also how they dealt with the loss of your dad. Well, because my mother had been divorced and it was, it was kind of split. My siblings are so much older than me. My brother is 15 years older than me and my sister, one sister is 17 years older than me. And they were the ones I was the closest to in my sort of daily life. Um, it was just such a big gap. It is a huge gap. That whatever they would have been doing to take care of their own mental health, you know, I wouldn't have been aware of. I'm thinking that losing your father at age nine, the gap in the ages of your siblings and half-siblings, you had to grow up pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah, because it ended up just being my mom and I. Right, right. So, you know... There were things that I recall that, you know, that my mother was doing at that time period when we weren't as aware of how impressionable <laughs> kids are that, um, you know, I look back and, and think about it and I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't have done that with my girls. With your girls. Yes, you do have two girls, which we're not going to go into too much, but you do have two children. Um... You were married? Yes. And I hate to bring this topic up, but I think it's important for our listeners to 
hear your story, uh, to talk about how to survive grief and traumatic events. Because we talked about this in the pre-interview, you had to not only deal with the death of your father, but you also lost your husband in a tragic accident. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about that story and what you've come to learn about living through grief. Sure. Um, well, I think the first, the first thing I should probably address um, is that I'm not sure when it started. I feel like it was probably shortly after my father's funeral. Um, but I started having a severe fear of death. Now, of course, everybody, everybody has that to some degree. It's not part of their daily thinking, though, where they're preoccupied and worried about it. And so as I, as I grew up and I lost various people, um, it, it just sort of became um, a real issue for me um, to, to the point where it was sort of controlling my life because everything I was doing, I was doing to try to make sure that I wouldn't die. Now, wow. of course, people were doing that, um, but it was just a very, like, high-level intensity of nothing can happen to me and nothing can happen to the people around me. So that's where my anxiety in general comes in because it's, it's there. So to go back to your question about my husband, um, so death is not a thing I do well with, period. And um, in 2018, my husband and my girls and I went on a trip to Hawaii. We had been there before. So it was a place we enjoyed together. Um, we had, we were living in Whitefish, Montana at the time when we traveled there and had planned it out, done a little bit of research, talked to people, you know, tried to find out the places to go. Um, and one of the places that was recommended and listed in a tour book was, um, a remote location called the Olivine Pools. So that was something that we had planned to do. And I had talked to some people about it before we left and there was, um, a gentleman that I knew that said he had taken his kids there and felt it was safe and um, had mentioned that, you know, I would probably see a little memorial there that somebody had passed at some point. So um, when we went there on March 27th, 2018, we got parked. I was doing the mom thing, you know, talking to the girls about not running and sunblock and listening and all of that. And, um, I got out of the car and they were in a rush and um, my husband, as sweet as he was, was not the best with my anxiety a lot of the time. And, you know, he just wanted to live life. He didn't, he didn't have that ingrained fear that I had. They say opposites attract. Uh, yeah. So, um, so we got there and immediately I knew something was wrong. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to go down. I felt sick to my stomach. And I said, I don't think we're supposed to be here. You know, I don't think this is a good idea. But, you know, he, he'd been dealing with me being like that for a long time. So, you know, it wasn't like he was going to say, <laughs> okay, well, we'll just turn around and leave. Because it was a long drive to get there. Sure. sure. And the girls were excited. So 
we we journeyed down it was a lot higher than i thought so you actually had to kind of walk down a bit of a mountain to get to the location and we got down there and probably within five minutes um my oldest daughter who loved the water was not afraid of the water had always just kind of you know she was like a fish um she just always wanted to be in the water and there was a rocky ledge and she went down and what we didn't know at the time um particularly that march there had been a lot of issues with rogue waves Mm. and so my daughter was on the ledge and just you know i was kind of talking to my husband about trying to yell to her to come back and he was like no it'll be fine and within those couple seconds of that conversation I looked back and she was gone. Oh no. And in a road wave had oh, my God. swept her and I mean carried her quite a bit into a different part of the ocean. It's a very hard location to try to explain. Um and and he took off and was trying to help her. We were very blessed to have a lot of people there that day that were willing to help. Um there was one family that was there where the gentleman was trying to help my husband get my daughter out. And um, at one point, they did get out and get her out. And then while they were like trying to catch their breath, um, they finally did get her out. But then the minute that happened, um, another wave came and actually pulled them back off of where they were standing. Oh, wow. Um, And so, and to anybody that knows me that might be listening to this, you know, there was, there was a lot of stories that happened. Um, You know, people had different renditions of what happened. So some of what I'm saying might be new information to people because honestly, um, the one thing I've learned is that, with something traumatic, um, everybody can have a different story. Exactly. And recall things differently. So, um, And over time, that can also change as well, what you remember right. and what you don't remember. Right. Um, and so, in any case, um, it swept them back in, and my husband's focus was my daughter. I, I literally watched him push her to towards the you know, the ledge so that somebody might be able to get her. They were using towels to try to, like, extend down. And in that process, with him trying to get her where she needed to be, he just he just got caught in a current. I am so sorry to hear that. And, you know, I really appreciate you sharing that story. I know it cannot be easy to relive that. And I'm sure certain dates, anniversary dates, must be very difficult for you. So in terms of processing the grief, because obviously, and everybody knows this, you don't actually move beyond grief, you sort of move through it. What are some of the things that you have learned that has helped you to go through this and then be a single parent? Because you obviously are. Um, well, the, the main thing that I did pretty quickly um, after I kind of got through you know, what some of us refer to as widow fog, um, is, is I went to grief therapy. 
I did some pretty intensive grief therapy, wrote, wrote my story out to try to process it. And, and, and that was very helpful. Um, shortly after that, I, you know, I needed to take a break. That was pretty intensive. Um, eventually I did decide to leave Montana and move back here to Charlottesville. And um, in that process, I came across um, a podcast um, called Mom Goes On. And it's also a program. It um, was started by Krista St. Germain, who also lost her husband. So it was a program that was very much geared towards helping widows and widowed moms learn to love life again, um, to not stay stuck. And the tools that I learned in there, you know, I still use quite a bit. Um, one of the things we talked about a lot was our inner critic, the things that we thought we should be doing. And so I use that a lot when I get down on myself um, for not what I perceive as being a good mom or I didn't get X, Y, or Z done or I should be doing more, my house should be cleaner those types of things. So I've been able to use self-talk in that way with my inner critic to try to, you know, remind myself that, you know, I am doing okay. And I imagine it's an everyday thing. Yes, it is. And like myself, you're a mental health advocate, which is, again, the reason why you're sharing the story to help others. What are some of the other things that you have learned in the process of living through this grief, being a mom, and what is it that you want your kids to learn about mental health? Or anybody out there Ooh, listening? that's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot, I'm sorry. Um, well, I think the first thing is, is that, you know, as I've learned about grief in general, it it's become clear to me, and it seems that you know, grief isn't linear. There's no right way to do it. There's, you know, no perfect um, instruction book on how to, to get through it. Um, you just sort of have to, or at least for me, what, what I had to do was just get to a point after I got over the first couple years, he's been gone five years now, um, you know, trying to decide, you know, what did I want my life to look like? What did I want my daughters to see me doing? Did I want them to, you know, see me just kind of, you know, curl up in a ball and, and, and not move forward? And I knew that wasn't something I wanted for them, um, which was one of the reasons why I moved back to Charlottesville, because my, my friend base is here in Charlottesville. Um, but... The main, the main thing for me was just realizing, one, that, you know, when you lose somebody, just because you lose them does not mean you can't have a relationship with them. And that was something we I talked, love that. talked yeah. a lot about in the program I was in, um, you know, a lot of ways to navigate anniversaries, um, you know, for the first couple years you know, my daughters and I, we really didn't do anything. It was just, it was just too hard. 
Um, and now they're much older and they kind of find their own way to deal with it since, um, since they're both, you know, teens and early twenties. Um, so it's been interesting to watch that evolve. Um, and I, and I hope that some of what I was doing and some of the program, um, tools that I got, you know, they were able to see me use and use them. So I know for me, and I'm sure a lot of other people, it's difficult to know what to say to somebody who has lost somebody or anything, whether it's a job, it's a pet, it's a person, but even more so when it is a person that words just seem hollow. Um, So from your perspective, what is it that you felt might have made things a little more difficult on you, what people would say, and what would you recommend for somebody like myself who really doesn't know the proper way to go about trying to be helpful? Sure. Um, well, I, <laughs> I always go back to this, this one thing, and, and I don't remember who said it to me, but it was pretty shortly after the funeral. Um, they said to me, you're young, you'll find someone else. Mm. Um, but please don't say that <laughs> to somebody because they're, they're grieving. They can't think that far ahead. That's not where their brain is going. Um, you know, some of the other things that, that people said were, well, he's in a better place now. He's not suffering. And that, yeah, that, that doesn't work either because you want them here with you. You, right. you don't want to think about that. Um, so just trying to be mindful of the words that you're using. A lot of people aren't taught how to process grief. A lot of people can't afford therapy to process grief. And, you know, so people will just say different things, mostly because they just don't know how to deal with it. They don't know the right things to say. So I always suggest to people when I'm asked a st- the similar question is that, you know, just let the person know that you're there for them. Let them know that, you know, they're not alone. Give them your phone number, offer to bring them food. Just check in on them randomly. Um, I was very fortunate that a lot of my friends from Charlottesville came back to Montana for the funeral to support me. I'll be forever grateful for that. I did have one friend I was very close to um, in Montana who literally walked through every step of the process with me. Um, She didn't have to do that. She chose to do that. She went and helped me with headstones. She helped me actually pick his resting place. And... You know, those things are the things that I will remember the most. You know, my friends listened to me when I cried. My friends on the East Coast would have their phones on and let me text them in the middle of the night. I'm so glad you had that support. I mean, that is... Yes, and a lot of people just don't. And unfortunately, they don't. I mean, I think the only thing I would add to that that I might have said before was just the talking about like you think you can't get through it you think you can't do things but 
you know, you can, you can do a lot of hard things. Like it wasn't easy for me to move across the country. You know, I know you're extremely resilient. You've got to ask for help. You've got, and I was never one. I hated asking people for help, but that was probably my biggest lesson was asking for help. Well, we share that in common as well. I have a difficulty asking for help. On, uh, we're running out of time. We've got another two minutes, and I try to end the podcast a little bit on a positive note. You have gone on, and you have since found love. Is that correct? That is correct. Which I'm very happy for you. Um, do you mind sharing that story and how you met your new is it partner, is it fair to say? Yes. Um, well... He's, he's somebody I knew from my past, long before my husband. Um, his name is George. And we met on the beach over 30 years ago. And kind of stayed friends on Facebook a little bit. Not, not much communication over the years. And um, as I was getting ready to move, I was going through a lot of things. And a friend was helping me. And we found all these love letters that he used to write to me back when I was a freshman in college. And that, that really took me back, you know, (laughs) back to a happy, a happy time. And, um, and and I was a little surprised at how I felt about finding them. And then we found pictures and she said, you know, are you, are you friends with him on Facebook? And I said, yeah, but we don't, you know, we don't really talk. And she was like, you need to just, you need to reach out right now and you need to do it. This is a sign. You have to do it. And so, and so I was like, okay. And so we were just kind of having fun with it. And, um, and so I sent him a message and, and it didn't take very long for him to reply. And, um, and that was kind of the start of things again. And then when I moved back to Charlottesville, um, we met up. And it was just like 30 years wow. had, never, had never passed. And, um, and it's been great. We've been together almost three years. and That's a great happy. story. I'm, I'm very happy for you. And uh, Christine, what can I say? Thank you again for sh- being brave enough to share your story on Speaking Candidly with Candace. We truly appreciate it. I'd love to have you back. You have so many other stories to share. So I hope we can count on you coming back. Yes, I would love to do that. Thank you. And to all of our listeners... Remember, you are not alone. If you'd like to learn more about mental health, please visit our podcast at voicesformentalhealth.org. That's voicesformentalhealth.org. And we will also be including on the website an email to contact Christine if you want to ask her any questions. And Christine, you don't mind that, do you? Nope, not at all. Happy to answer anything. You can listen to previous episodes of Speaking Candidly with Candace as well as find mental health resources on our website at voicesformentalhealth.org. Be sure to sign up for our monthly newsletter and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.